0: Hey, Jeff.
1: How's it going Josh?
0: Oh, it's been a while, man.
1: It's been too long. life gets crazy, right?
0: It really does. It really does. Well I mean you know I've got excuses you know I had uh, family come in from out of town for a week and you know life has been busy, you know got my uh, my my young girls uh, up uh, not able to participate in her in her sports. she ended up uh, injuring her sciatica. Ooh, Um, yeah. So she's got like really bad hip and leg pain, and we had to end up going to go see a. uh, uh, Well, we didn't know what it was at first. Like all the doctors were freaking out because, you know, uh, uh, well, a now ten-year-old with, you know, hip pain is not a not a normal thing.
1: No, it's not uh, supposed to go that way.
0: No, it's not supposed to go that way. So you know they're all treating us like you know like the plague has happened, and you know because there have been cases of actually infections uh, that people have had then traveling down into like joints and stuff like that. And then it becomes like super serious. Um, so they were like very heavily proactive. Um, but we turn turns out she just uh, damaged her sciatica nerve. Oh, um, just that. Yeah. Just that. <laughs> so, so she's on uh, essentially nothing, no major activities for two weeks. And uh, she has to do physical therapy and all that fun stuff.
1: It's a good thing she's not a really active kid; otherwise, that'd be a total nightmare for all yeah, of you. Yeah,
0: you know, just, she's just you know swims competitively for the last several years. You know, for like USA swimming, paddleboarding, skateboarding. Yeah, you know, she barely. She she's barely, pretty much she, a couch potato. Pretty much, pretty much. She she ah. just got she just got a new computer for her birthday, so thankfully that's been keeping her entertained, keeping her sedative, sedated. That's cool yeah man. How about you?
1: you know the usual the usual just uh grinding away east coast east coast <laughs> so uh i know that i know it's been a while but uh i i feel like even in our absence, we continue to send things back and forth to each other that that we'd really like to share with people and i think we got i think we have a couple couple of really good things today what do you think
0: I think we do too absolutely you uh, do you, you want to start off
1: uh, you could start I don't want to I don't want to hog the uh, the airwaves
0: all right all right well I was planning on starting off with uh, uh, the the op-ed that came out not 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 the op-ed that everyone else is talking about um,
1: the, other the other op-ed
0: the other op-ed that uh that no one is talking about but we're going to talk about it um uh the, the one uh we had saw it in in fox news um and it's by a author uh j warner wallace and it's talking about young christians are leaving the church and here's why um and pretty much this is kind of going into um uh, for those of you who if you're if you're listening to this program, you're probably familiar with some something called the Pew Research Center. Um, you know, they are a God, I hope so. They are a um I don't know about you, but they essentially were like the statistician statisticians for American churches and churches around the world who essentially are trying to say, This is where, you know, this is how many people are reading their Bibles. This is, you know, like those are all the things I remember hearing about, you know, growing up in church and reading about. Um, But now
1: it's, why is everybody leaving? (laughs) Pretty much.
0: Yeah. So, so now these, these, the, the Pew Research Center, you know, they are, well, they they do their regular annual surveys and talking about, you know, average, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how many people are in the church, you know, like as, as America still Christian, you know, big air quotes there. Um, And, they came out with you know they were very surprised at how many the population of uh millennials who um don't who describe themselves as just not affiliated with any religion at all um and so and a lot of that you know they had to delve in further to try to try to break that down because you know with such a high percentage of people just saying none and they offered them a bunch of questions of saying you know well is it because you know you don't like what's being taught is it because you know you don't believe in god you know and so they asked him all these kind of very large broad sweeping questions and a good portion of them were just like no it's none of those things like you know kind of like they 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 didn't really kind of fit the bill or meet the needs of of why people are not not uh not you know, at least why people of like the millennial or the younger generations are are kind of not really interested or not in 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 the church anymore. Um, and
1: when when I read it, I um, you know, I, I kind of felt like um, basically like we are the you know our 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 show our program is the sort of the solution you know to that problem. It's sort of what we've tried to be from the beginning is. Um, you know, like basically like Potter watch for Christianity, you know, um, (laughs) where we're, we're, uh, out here asking the questions that you're not allowed to ask in church. The, the questions that, you know, even now when I go to ask the questions and have conversations with, uh, pastors and, and friends that I grew up with, I, get this like not in the pit of my stomach because I know what they're going to think right away. Their thoughts are going to go straight to, Oh man, Jeff's going to hell now. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and, and, well, and, and that's the, I think that to be very honest with you, that's the problem that, um, that I, I personally have with, uh, coming out of the evangelical uh, faith tradition is you know it's a either or it's a I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell there is no right like they're they're you know it's very they're very detailed and very targeted in saying that there is no in between you know
1: and and in psychology we we might call that a false dichotomy that might be what that's called oh when you know yeah. when there's like a million choices but you pretend there's only two options. And you present somebody with the two crappy options and act like everything else that is out there doesn't exist. oh yeah, that's a, that's the church
0: absolutely. And you know I, I kind of um kind of me personally, like when I first like one of the first big questions that I had, so this was like way before I even kind of really began this whole um to to use progressive christianology terms deconstruction phase. Um, Like this was like a question that I had like when I was like a teenager like to me This was like my big question that kind of made me wonder about that whole uh, Dichotomy, I don't know how to really use the right Adjective here, but essentially that that whole um, You know heaven or hell mentality um, was when I looked at the kind of the Jewish faith and I looked at it through history and this is something I never really understood and nobody could ever really give me an answer to in in any of my Bible teachings or any of my you know anybody any pastors or anything like that? And I bring it into them. They kind of just looked at me like it was kind of you know it wasn't a bad question, uh, but I guess I, I should stop teasing and just tell you what it is. <laughs> it,
1: well, it, it's it's a bad question because they don't have an answer for it. That's that's really you know
0: right true so so my question really kind of goes back to and looking at you know looking at the Jewish faith you know if if the Israelites really believed that they are the chosen people of the one and only true God then why do they not want like it seems to me kind of like like it's it's like a why why don't they try to convert people to Judaism Like, what, why is it that, you know, and and if, you know, if the God of Christianity is the same God of of Judaism, why are the Jewish, why don't the Jewish people, you know, try to convert us to Judaism? Because they, if they really are the one true faith of the one true God, you know, the original faith, some would even say. Right. And it's kind of like brought me into this kind of thing, this kind of question of, I'm like, well... If that's not kind of a part of their mentality, then why, why is it a part of our mentality?
1: Well, and it's, to me, when I look at it, I, I have a real easy answer that comes to mind. Um, but it's just not the answer that is particular, particularly comfortable if you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament and going, every word of this is the authoritative word of God then you're going to be really uncomfortable with my perspective on this. But from when I'm sitting there looking back on history and looking back at that area of the world, it's super easy to answer. It's tribalism. It's just basic run of the mill, good old, you know, God bless the USA. You know, it's, God bless my tribe, you know, God is behind my tribe. And it, particularly, if you're this tiny little tribe, which they were compared to, you know, the enemies that surrounded them. Um, and I mean, let's be real. Most of those people in that area had, uh, you know, tribal conflicts with one another. So it's not just that the Israelites were the only ones, um, you know, that that had enemies surrounding them. But they're not looking at this from the perspective of, you know, oh, gee, I, you know, I bet you those guys down the street feel exactly the same way about this as, as I do. You know, they're looking at it going, oh, God help me. Like, thank God I got God on my side. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that that's a kind of a very interesting, like a, sociological kind of psychological perspective of looking at it um and kind of like if i can kind of take a spin on that like in my my, the perspective i ended up taking um and i've kind of like it it makes sense to me and, and you know and um and just kind of want to add a little twist into that is that um early judaism was not monotheistic and you know if you if you when you read the Old Testament, um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really talk about false gods. It talks about other gods. You know, we in we in, in the English language we we specify, you know, um, you know uh, the the Creator, um, the the Deity. That's a part of the Jewish tradition and the uh, Christian tradition. You know, we put a capital G when we when we reference God. Um, and then in English we use lowercase G's, but the but of the Jewish mindset in the day of the Old Testament, they were quite aware of other do- gods. You know, there was uh, Baal. There was I'm trying to think of a couple other off the top of my head, but you know Baal was a was a, a big one that was popular in the in the area, and you know they, and they're surrounded by you know polytheistic. Um, you know, cultures, and in many cases intermarried, you know, and, and had uh, polytheistic, you know, uh, traditions. You know, they recognized that other gods exist. They just thought their god was superior.
1: I mean, there really is only one monotheistic god that we know of before, um, you know, before Jesus rolls around, right? Um, Zoastrianism...
0: That... Um. Yes. Yeah. So it would be. Yeah. Zoroastrianism was like one of the first real true monotheisms, and it actually was. Um, a lot of the the religious history of the of the Jewish tradition actually, uh, after the um, second, like uh, I want to say it's around the, the second exile, that there actually became a a group of Israelites that became known as like the cult of Yahweh. And they were extremely heavily strict monotheists, very much like the Zoroastrianisms were. Um, and there's a lot of uh, historical evidence that kind of relates that that the, this is kind of a very similar... Essentially, this is kind of like the Jewish spin of Zoroastrianism. Um, right, right. And essentially, and well, and, and
1: try, trying to even... take
0: it from the extreme of saying, no, 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 our God is not just the best God. Our God is the only God. And then, after the second exile, um, that essentially became the the popular theme in in Jewish theology.
1: There's also a um, you know a, a theory that says that the Zoroastrians were the Magi, and um, because you know one of the problems that obviously drives millennials away from the church um, is that. Uh, they see the uh, the 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 arrogance that the church speaks with as if everything is clear and obvious and cut and dry and there's only one way to look at it and and you know we don't admit things in the church often like we don't know who the magi were we don't know Matthew talks about them and it's like you know, these three dudes show up from the East. Well, thank you. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like being in New Jersey and being like, so some guys came from the West. Cool, thanks. You know? Well, in uh, New
0: Jersey, you know, essentially, Montana, the, you know, you can't really get California? much more about? East than Jersey. So, I mean, that's, that's you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, the point is, is that saying that that you come from, you know, the three guys show up in a word that was um, very, uh, um, I mean, even as early as 100 AD, uh, Tertullian is starting to make arguments for who the Magi are. And Tertullian being one of the um, the early church theologians that we still have records of, um, you know, so that those guys are, are considered possibly to have been zoroastrians and possibly astrologers which is really interesting to consider when you think about how you know these days the evangelical church will you know have a still in some circles have a a, a good old book burning for Harry Potter or you know Twilight or whatever else they they feel like is you know witchcraft and astrology and whatever nonsense was that condescending? I'm sorry.
0: No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was fair assessment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I guess say like in regards to this op-ed, I don't know if I fully agree with the entire conclusion this individual came with, because um, a lot of it is you know reading into the Pew Research. Um, and you know, because pure research doesn't really provide answers; it just provides data. Really, is all it does. You know, like to you know, the 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 um, anybody who deals with data or research will tell you. You know, data is not necessarily the answer. You have to learn how to interpret it and how to understand it. Um, and I'm not claiming that I have better insight than this individual, um, but uh, I I really think that from from my own insight and I, I I I honestly really believe that, you know, one of the things that kind of led me into this, okay, what the church is traditionally has been is not where it needs to be. Um, a lot of it has been the education that has been forced you know, or has been encouraged by you know my parents and, and a generation of parents and teachers, you know telling us to get educated to learn, to do all these things. And the and I want to say, you know, these are all good things and that, but at the same time, they shouldn't be surprised that uh, when all of a sudden the thing that they're telling us to go do and learn, which essentially is teaching us how to think or or how to process, information like how to view how to view the world you know both whether it's the spiritual the physical you know how to deal with details um and you know it, finding out that the stuff that is being taught from the majority of our pulpits you know is stuff that was penned from a much more ignorant time in in humanity and by saying that i don't necessarily mean that that the, the bible writers I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not criticizing them. I'm criticizing the interpretation of what's being written Um, because I don't, I don't know about you, Jeff, but the one thing that, that kind of frustrates me the most, you know, like when I, when I look at, you know, how we qualify, at least how I've been taught to qualify if a person is a Christian in an evangelical church is, you know, you know, step one, do you believe the Bible is God's word? Okay, well, what does right, that, right. what does that, first of all, you know, no one even stops to think, what does that even mean? Because you could say, and the and the biggest problem that we have is that, um, that, you know, first of all, many people can read that statement or hear that statement and have, you know, a million different opinions upon what that actually means. And the, or the other side of the coin is that, you know, now all of a sudden we're not using real language, we're using church language we're using insider language you know so in order to be able to answer that question yes or no you have to have all of this background knowledge and understanding of what that phrase means the phrase is not self-explanatory so right. there thereby by by my own supposition i say that it is a bad phrase to make you know that the bible is the word of god why because nobody knows cuz that's not self-explanatory you know like are you are you saved you know, what does that mean? What am I saved from? You know, this is not something that, you know, as I start to think through all of these definitions and, and, uh, and Christian terms, they just don't, they don't make sense. If anything, ne- you know, after I've been taught to think critically, now I start asking, why are we asking, you know, like wh- these questions, are they even valid? Like how do I know to answer these without being inside your group?
1: And, you know, it's interesting because the questions evolve over, um, you know, decades and sometimes over centuries, but they're not necessarily the same questions that the church has been asking or using as qualifiers throughout history. And what that means is that you need to re-examine it and say, okay, wait a second, is this essentially just a passing fad that the church is, is viewing things like this? right? Mm-hmm. Because if, uh I mean, when you look at, at how uh the way that the faith is interpreted swings from one century to the next, it's pretty dramatic. Methodists used to be known as the shouting Methodists, right? It's mm-hmm. hard to imagine that now, looking at the Methodist church, that they were basically like the Pentecostals of a bygone era. You know, mm-hmm. the... Going back to the, I want to say it's like sixteen or seventeen hundreds, um, you know, and and now they're very much uh, a placid group. I would say, is that fair?
0: Yeah, they 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 are not the uh, what I would consider to be loud and loud and proud groups of the church.
1: And so, you know, we're we're asking these questions and. Uh, we're asked them because the people that went before us, you know, were asked and and so on and so forth. And so the same questions get, uh, you know, reiterated through decades because of some uh, particularly charismatic person that that made them part of the fabric of that community until somebody comes along, questions it, breaks it down. And uh, if they're charismatic enough, then that new understanding will stick. Mm-hmm. but you know I, I had a i had a great conversation with uh with a pastor last week and um i'm not gonna say who because uh he it it was a private conversation and i'm not sure that he would have the same level of candor in a discussion with anybody because um if you try to really get into the deeper understanding, you you have to have both sides of the conversation, all the participants sort of on the same page. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but he, we're, we're talking about the, the canonization of the New Testament and of the Old Testament and, you know... I said to him at one point, I said, you know, Jesus says in the gospels to to go out into all nations and, and preach the gospel. I don't remember him saying, go ye forth and write the new Testament. Right? That's not a command that he gave. And as far as I'm concerned, the fact that the apostles didn't write those gospels lickety split is a reflection of the fact that they also didn't feel like there was this urgent need to create the missing pieces of the Bible that they were more creating a, a historical account. They were sharing their understanding of what they all went through. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not questioning the validity of the experience. Clearly, you have to go through a seismic and life-changing shift to give up your career and pursue the growth of a faith that will almost certainly get you murdered. That's that's commitment. So they obviously were, as far as I'm concerned, they were true believers. Um, but the understanding that we've attached to a lot of this stuff, to me, doesn't match up with the understanding that their actions reflect they had.
0: You know... I don't think that at any time, I mean, I, I would say that that's probably even true for, for what we call the Old Testament, honestly. It falls suit. You know, I don't think that anybody at any time when they, you know, initially penned or put together, you know, probably with the exception of the, Moses. the Torah. Because, I think
1: Moses well, definitely had, well, anyway.
0: Well, I'm not even going to say Moses because you know everything that we have is the is uh, that that's it's up to debate as to whether <laughs> yeah certainly. Moses. Um, but you know, I I think with the exception of of Moses, um, that you know, like you know, Chronicles and Kings were were meant to be you know historical accounts. You know, they were you know Psalms was a collection of you know songs and praise and worship. Um, you know, then uh, the the majority of the rest of the Old Testament is uh, various prophecies, you know, which were, you know, at the time of writing, you know, were intended for a very specific audience. Um, Now there's various different, you know, eschatological rules regarding, you know, prophecies you know having multiple interpretations and multiple meanings as well as multiple being able to come true multiple times in multiple ways um depending upon what your school of thinking along those lines are um but you know for the vast majority you know none of this was really meant to be a um a guide none of it's really meant to be an instruction book like i said probably with the exception of like of the torah the books of the law um and we as christians have a special relationship with those (laughs) yeah yeah though um there was there is one thing that kind of has been sticking with me jeff um and I thought this was amazing. I I'd read this out, and 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 this is something that, that kind of really stuck with me, um, is that you know what a lot of most scholars don't talk about, what you know Jesus' honest great probably his greatest miracle that he committed, or performed. Yeah, and, and committed. Scholars, that's, and and you know and scholars don't talk about it. What's that? It's that having twelve close friends in his thirties.
1: <laughs> I mean. That's um, that's because it's the hardest one to believe, <laughs> you know?
0: I, honestly, so so I'm gonna be be completely honest like this this kind of next comment, like it really comes out of um, um, uh, like from like I say, my one of my pastors at my church gave a sermon and it kind of really hit home with me uh, this week. so I'm gonna just essentially just completely rip off of him. Um, his name's Colby Martin, by the way, if you've never heard of him, Soldier and Grace Collective, go look it up. They have, we have podcasts and stuff and check it out. Great author. He has a great book. Um, great speaker, um, him and his wife, uh, Kate, she's also a co-pastor. Anyways, check him out. But a lot of it we talked about is, um, you know, how relationships is a, such a key, part not only to just being human but it's it's a key part to our faith honestly um you know like to me kind of like what what I really see in my evolution of faith is that you know what I really one of the biggest things I get out of being in church is having a community of people um and people that you know that I can care about and that they Honestly, I feel like they honestly, you know, care about me when I'm there as well. Um, and to me, if anything, this is kind of the thing that um, the one of the big drivers that that we kind of see out of Jesus's ministry is you know Jesus was really all about community. You know, he was always sharing food. You know, he was you know he rarely sent the crowds away. You know, and when he did, you know, he still had you know you know his really close disciples, you know, a group of 12 guys, um, and, and women that were probably not named because, uh, uh, thank God for the patriarchy. Um, we decided not to write (laughs) about them and I apologize. That was sarcastic. They, Uh, They
1: probably didn't have any kind of real contribution anyway.
0: Totally.
1: I mean, you know, let's, we won't pay any attention to who was there at the cross with him. Um, we'll just, we'll just, you know,
0: exactly. We'll but, over that. But this is kind of something that I think, and I'll be very honest with you, it's something that um, a lot of these people who are, you know, who their faith isn't necessarily damaged, but but they look at the church and they say that the church is not a place for me, or at least the church as as they see it today in modern society. Um, you know, there this is a big piece that that's that's missing. And this is where I think a lot of our churches, our modern churches are failing today with um, a lot of the churches who, you know, they'll put a sign on their door saying everyone's welcome. And they do that with, you know, everybody's welcome. But, of course, there's always that little caveat of, you know, you're welcome. But, you know, if you are, uh, you know, if you are, you know, living with somebody and not married, whether it be straight or homosexual, or God, you know, God forbid, homosexual—that's extra worse, apparently—in in the church, um, you know. Then you know you can't can't be you know you can't be a member or you can't really participate fully in the church um, until you know you clean up and fix these sinful areas of your life, um, and it kind of creates this sort of like false and and really all that does is that just creates this uh, this fake world where people you know half you know, they they creates these sort of like fake standards that people feel obligated to do and, and all it's really done is kind of force people away of saying, you know, I can't live up to that standard or I don't want to live up to that standard and it's kind